The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACHR Nag, your host. Today is Thursday, so it's time for Dr Peter Hammond's weekly visit. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And folks, Peter's been very excited about the presentation he's got for us today, which is entitled The Real Story of Martin Luther's Courageous Stand 500 Years Ago. So where would you like to start us off today, Peter? It's not often that you get to celebrate a 500th anniversary of such a momentously historic event as Professor Martin Luther's bold stand at Worms in Germany on the 18th of April, 1521. So here we are in 2021, 500 years later, and this coming Sunday, the 18th of April, 2021, will be the 500th anniversary of one of the most courageous, momentous, historically important stands ever. Now, when many people think of the Reformation, Martin Luther, most people would probably tend to think, if they do at all of it, of the 31st of October when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses or 95 arguments against indulgences on the doors of the castle church, the Schlosskirche in Wittenberg, and that was in 1517. And in fact, we do celebrate Reformation Day normally on 31 October, and back in 2017, I organized a Reformation 500 event, church council celebration. We were in Wittenberg, Germany. In fact, I, I went through five countries uh, on a five-month, I should say five-week um, mission tour, doing speaking tours all over. And my biggest attendance anywhere was actually in the Netherlands. We had uh, over 960 people at a weekend conference, Reformation Revival Conference, but everywhere from California uh, through France and uh, Netherlands and Belgium and Germany, uh, I was having Reformation 500 events and uh, culminating in October, um, in fifteen and 2017 in, in Wittenberg. But while that was super important, Martin Luther's arguing against the Catholic Church's sale of indulgences in 1517. So the 95 Theses were important, but they were just a beginning. But what we have on 18th of April, 1521, where Martin Luther stood before the entire assembled might of the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, before the Emperor Charles V himself, before all the battery of archdukes and dukes and ambassadors and cardinals and bishops. And uh, he was 
facing the entire assembled political and ecclesiastical might of Europe. And they were basically giving, giving him a choice, recant or be burned at the stake. Because if you were a heretic in a church, you got burned at the stake. If you were a traitor to government, you could be lucky to get beheaded. Uh, but right here, he was facing the same kind of fate that Professor Jan Hus had faced uh, back in 1415 when he was burned at the stake despite an imperial safe conduct guarantee when he went to the Council of Constance. So Professor Jan Hus had been burned at the stake for making a stand on the word of God uh, just about a century before. And Jerome Savonarola, a lot more recently, had been burned at the stake in Florence for trying to make a stand against the Catholic Church. So Martin Luther was in a very dangerous position. And uh, when he stood there and he made his historic speech, it was actually the birth of of so much of what has grown out to be Western civilization. So uh, we are doing some major events to to celebrate that this, this year. And we were planning to be in Worms, Germany um, uh, this week. But um, of course, the lockdown uh, lunacy has made that impossible. So what we're doing is doing live streaming events uh, this coming Saturday and Sunday um, in, in Cape Town, which will include people from around the world. But what is so important about uh, Martin Luther's stand? Well, he was stood before the entire Roman Empire, Holy Roman Empire's power, and Charles V at that time ruled all of the Austrian domains in Spain, the Netherlands, most of Italy, the Americas were all under his power. And at 21 years old, Charles V ruled over a territory larger than any man since Charlemagne, Charles the Great. And when Luther was asked, can you identify with these books on the table or your writings? He confirmed they were. And then they were said, do you wish to retract them or do you adhere to them and continue to assert them? Well, Martin Luther, a 37-year-old professor from Wittenberg University, had come expecting an opportunity to debate the issues. But they made it clear to him no debate is to be tolerated. The imperial diet was ordering him to recant all his writings or effectively forfeit his life. And Martin Luther was challenged to do this on the 17th, on 17th of April. And he asked for more time to answer the question without injury to the word of God and without peril to his soul. And because he had thought he's going to have a debate, now he realizes he's only going to be able to make one short statement. And so he was given 25,000 the next day, Thursday, the 18th of April, as the sun was setting and as the torches were being lit, Luther was ushered into this August, very imposing, intimidating assembly. And he's asked again, will you recant what you've written? Martin Luther responded, some of his books taught established Christian doctrine on faith and good works. He could not deny accepted Christian doctrines. Others of his works attacked the papacy, and to retract these would be to encourage tyranny and cover up evil. In the third category of books, he had responded to some individuals who were defending popery, and the examiner was not satisfied. You must give a simple, clear, and proper answer. Will you recant or not? And Martin Luther responded first in Latin, and then he repeated it in German so that everyone around could understand. It shook the world. Unless I am convinced by scripture or by clear reasoning that I am in error, for popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. I cannot recant, for I'm subject to the scriptures I've quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. 
It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. So help me, God. Amen. And in this short, powerful statement, encapsulated in this historic speech, were the principles of freedom of conscience, which was unknown before this time. Freedom of conscience is a concept that dates back to Martin Luther, 18 April 1521, 500 years ago. Freedom of conscience, freedom of worship, freedom of thought, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, because Martin Luther actually was the world's first journalist in a sense. His, his writings at that stage, more than 80% of the printed works in the world were Martin Luther's writings. And uh, he had mastered the printing press in some ways, they said, with his 95 theses published in 1517. This made him the first journalist in a sense of the first time that a uh, mass medium had impacted the way people were thinking about an issue uh, throughout the known world. And uh, his writings were swamping Europe. It was hundreds of thousands of Martin Luther's pamphlets and books. And uh, in that uh, environment, that was he was the biggest best-selling author in the world. And at one time, 80% of the printed works in the world were actually Martin Luther's writings. So he was championing freedom of the press, freedom of association, constitutionalism, because as he said, you cannot depend on what the political leaders say. Popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. It is not uh, what is said by the rulers that matters. It's what's written, particularly the written word of God. And so he was championing the concept of Lex Rex. The prevailing concept at that time was Rex Lex. Now, Rex being Latin for king and Lex being Latin for law. So Rex Lex means the king is law. The king is the law. The king's word is law. And the reformers flipped it. Starting with Martin Luther, instead of Rex Lex, it was Lex Rex. The law is king. The king is under the law. And so uh, in championing the principle of what is written, he was laying the foundations for Western civilization's concept of constitutionalism. And the separation of powers and checks and balances and the rule of law, because popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. And so his bold stand of my conscience is captive to the word of God. This, this is, in many ways, the birth of Western civilization. And Western civilization has been blessed with the greatest freedoms and productivity and prosperity ever known in history. The liberty, the standards of justice, the creativity enjoyed in Western civilization is a direct result of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. But of course, Martin Luther was not seeking to start a reformation. He wasn't trying to start a denomination. He wasn't thinking at that stage about creating Western civilization. But our Lord Jesus taught, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you, Matthew 6, 33. It was Martin Luther's earnest quest for peace with God and his intensive study of the scriptures that led him to make the 95 Theses challenge over the unethical fundraising tactics of the papacy and their false doctrines and led him to question uh, primary issues like authority. And he realized that authority doesn't lie in the church, but in scripture, it doesn't lie in the Pope, it lies in the principles of scripture and the word of God and the law of God. And so his dedication to truth led him to challenge the entire ecclesiastical and political authority of the Holy Roman Empire and the Roman Catholic Church, unless I'm convinced by scripture or by clear reasoning. 
here I stand. My conscience kept the word of God. I cannot do otherwise. So in this incredibly courageous stand against the assembled political and religious authorities of Europe, Professor Martin Luther was arguing for freedom of conscience based upon the authority of scripture alone. And until that time, the prevailing practice was authoritarianism, both in church and state. All religions supported the monarchy or aristocracy and authoritarianism. And the church, it would have been ecclesiastical, the, the rule of the bishops, the cardinals, the pope. However, Martin Luther and the reformers maintained, because of the depravity of man, no human authority can be trusted as absolute. Popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. He rejected ecclesiastical totalitarianism, and he championed the principle of sola scriptura. That's Latin for the scripture alone, Bible alone is our ultimate authority. And by translating the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew into the common tongue and making it widely available to both nobles and peasants, men and women, Martin Luther was championing universal education and literacy and the priesthood of all believers and the freedom of conscience and religious liberty. And by rejecting the sacramental system of the medieval Roman Catholic Church, where it claimed they were re-sacrificing Christ in the Mass and encouraging that anyone who is devout needs to retreat into a monastery and con convents and uh, deny marriage and, and having children and rather subjectively seek inner holiness and salvation within themselves. The reformers rejected this and they said no. Um, the family is the center of society. The family is the building block of society. If you want to serve God, you you should get married and have children and raise up the children to love and honor the Lord. You shouldn't be retreating selfishly into a monastery. You should be engaging in society. And so the reformers released the energy and redirected it to seeking to serve God and our neighbor by putting feet to our faith and love in action instead of uh, shutting up hordes of people in the prime of life in convents and monasteries, he was encouraging them to get married and have families and children and raise these children in love of the Lord. And so the Protestant Reformation freed society from the religious subjectivism and stagnation, which had crippled progress. The Reformation redirected the energies of Christians towards applying the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life, intellectually, politically, socially, economically, the Protestant doctrines of the priesthood of all believers became the foundation for modern representative governments. And the equality of all people before the law and before God undermined the absolutism of monarchs, emperors, popes, who had set themselves above the law. Because a plowman who has the word of God can know more of the scriptures than the pope. And so instead of the prevailing rex lex, the king is the law, the reformers are championing lex rex, the law is king. No one is above God's law. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords. Everyone is under God's law. Sola Scriptura eroded the foundations of totalitarianism, both in the church and in politics, because the Protestant emphasis on the priesthood of all believers, that all believers have direct access to God, that you don't have to go to the priest and say, pray for me and so on. You can ask someone to pray with you, but uh, you can pray directly to God. You don't need to go through an intermediary. You you can go direct to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the supreme authority of Scripture led to the concept of representative governments and constitutional authority as the supreme law of the land. That kings and queens are not the law of the land. They are sworn to uphold the law of the land, which is based on God's law, as the common law of England is based upon the Sermon on the Mount and the laws of Moses 
and the case laws of Exodus, uh, so too uh, all law needs to be based on God's law, summarized by the Ten Commandments in particular. So Martin Luther wrote that Christians should be free of the arbitrary control of both church and state. God alone is the Lord of the conscience. Martin Luther wrote, it is with the word that we must fight. By the word we must overthrow and destroy what has been set up by violence. I will not make use of force against the superstitious and the unbelieving. Liberty is the very essence of faith. I will preach, I will discuss, I will enlighten, but I will compel no one. For faith is a voluntary act. I've stood up against the Pope, against indulgences and papers, but without violence or tumult, without riot, I've put forward God's word. I preached and I wrote, that is all I did. The word of God did everything. God's word should be allowed to work alone. It is not in my power to fashion the hearts of men. I can get no further than their ears. The hearts I cannot reach. And since I cannot pour faith into their hearts, I cannot, nor should I, force anyone to have faith. That is God's work alone. He causes faith to live in the heart. We should preach the word, but the results must be left solely to God's good pleasure. And so by emphasizing the biblical doctrine of faith as a gift of God, Luther was undermining the Catholic Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition, and, and provided the theological foundations for religious liberty and freedom of conscience. The social implications of the spiritual reformation were also enormous. The doctrine of sola scriptura led to constitutionalism. The priests of all believers led to the concept of representative republics and democratic forms of government. Religious liberty and freedom of conscience led to the freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of association, and all the other outworkings of political and social freedom. And so the 19th century German historian Leopold von Runke described John Calvin as the virtual founder of America. Reformer John Calvin laid the foundations for the English and American Bills of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, the privilege against self-incrimination, independence of the judiciary, the rights of habeas corpus, the right not to be imprisoned without cause, and all the other key principles and separation of powers, checks and balances between the upper and the lower house and between executive, judicial, and uh, the legislative branch of government, and much more. And all of this was founded on Martin Luther's stand on the 18th of April, 1521. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Sociologist Max Weber's book, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, published in 1908, he documented that the free market economy was a product of the Protestant Reformation. Free market capitalism had historically flourished in those Protestant countries like Great Britain and Germany and Netherlands, where the Calvinist principles of hard work and honesty and frugality and thrift, punctuality, and the doctrine of a Christian work ethic also known as the Protestant work ethic, had created conditions for the greatest innovations and successes in economics ever experienced in all of history. In 1830, the French historian Alex de Tocqueville, in his landmark book, Democracy in America, observed, the unprecedented liberty, justice, and productivity achieved in the United States of America at that time was a direct result of Christian influences. So this is written in 1830. There is no country in the world where the Christian religion maintains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. Would that that was true again, but that was true back in 1830. The historian Colton Hayes and Christianity and Western civilization observed, wherever Christian ideals have been generally accepted, 
and that practice sincerely attempted, there is a dynamic liberty. And wherever Christianity is being ignored or rejected, persecuted or chained to the state, there is tyranny. And that's so true. As was written at the time, the American civilization rests on the basic principles of Christian morality, which have their origins in the scriptures. Without the Bible as the constellation that guides the American ship estate, the whole edifice that guides American civilization collapses. I think we've seen that today, too, as people are trying to abandon the Christian roots and foundations and truths which built our civilization with its liberties. Uh, we are seeing a loss of these liberties as people abandon the very foundations of them. What we learn here is ideas of consequences. There is no doubt that the Reformation Europe, launched by Martin Luther in 1521, 500 years ago, has to be seen as one of the most important epochs in the history of the world. The Reformation gave us the Bible, now freely available in our own languages. And bear in mind that the first man to translate the Bible from the original Greek and, and Hebrew into English, William Tyndale, he was not allowed to do it in England. The Bible in English was forbidden in England. He had to do the Bible translation in Germany and get printed in Germany. And so the first New Testament printed in English had to be smuggled into England in bales of cotton from the Netherlands. And the first 5,000 copies were intercepted by the Bishop of London and burned. And today I think there's only two copies of the original print run of 6,000 of the Tyndale New Testament that survived. And one was sold some years ago for over five million pounds for one copy of a New Testament. That's how valuable it is considered. But to think that the first Bible translator to translate the Bible into English that was printed, as opposed to Wycliffe's, which was a handwritten Bible, only translated from Latin. Uh, the Morning Star of the Reformation didn't have access to the Greek or Hebrew Bible. He only had the Latin Vulgate. And of course, there's no printing press back in the 1300s. So Wycliffe's Bibles are only handwritten, so there were very few of them. But as William Tyndale, the first man to translate the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew, to have them printed, he was burned at the stake for the crime of translating the Bible into English. So we need to recognize that even the privilege of having the Bible in our own language, people died for that. And the Reformation pioneered the principles of religious liberty and freedom of conscience and the rule of law and the separation of powers and constitutionally limited societies. All of these foundational principles were unthinkable before the Reformation. The reformers were emphasizing God's sovereignty and that scripture alone is our final authority, that Christ alone is the head of the church, that salvation is by the grace of God alone, received by faith alone on the basis of the finished work of Christ alone. And these battle cries of the Reformation, solus Christus, Christ alone is the head of the church, sola scriptura, scripture alone is the ultimate authority, sola gracia, salvation is by the grace of God alone, sola fide, salvation is received by faith alone, and soli dio gloria, everything should be done to the glory of God alone. And when Bach was writing his various uh, works of, of um, music, his great uh, magnificent like Matthew's Passion, he would always be putting soli dio gloria on every page, um, or uh, it, it, it was uh, his signature, soli dio gloria. In fact, that's on every one rand coin in South Africa, even to this day, uh, soli dio gloria, this great Reformation battle cry one of the five solas. So the reformers teaching on the depravity of man and the covenant and on church government influenced positive political 
developments and liberty throughout the Western world and beyond, as seen in parliaments in England, uh, Congress in America, and so on. And the establishing of checks and balances between an upper house and a lower house, and the separation of powers between executive, judicial, and legislative, constitutional authority, all of these are reformation principles that grew out of Martin Luther's bold stand 500 years ago on 18th of April, 1521. Martin Luther said, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, then I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing him. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldiers proved, and to be steady on all the battlefront besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Now, all of us are beneficiaries of this tremendous movement for faith and freedom. So if you love liberty, you need to re-examine the history and the principles of the Reformation, and you need to be grateful to Professor Martin Luther, because he is the one who had the courage to risk his life, to stand up for what is right, to try and seek first God's kingdom, to fear God alone. I think it's one of the most courageous events in the history of the world. One needs to understand at that time, it's not like you could go down the road and join another church. There was only the Roman Catholic Church. And the empire, the political entity, was completely dovetailed with the Catholic Church. So that it's not that you could have just gone across the border and gotten political sanctuary. Um, uh, as you might be able to do today, because at that stage, even though William Tyndale fled England to translate the Bible into English in Germany, uh, he was later burned at the stake in uh, Netherlands in what today is Belgium, uh, Vilvordi, uh, being there in Vilvordi, uh, because of the fact that the Holy Roman Empire stood together on issues like, well, translating the Bible into local language is unacceptable. So this is one of the most courageous stands ever in the history of the world to have made a stand on his conscience. And I cannot think of a more relevant message today in 2021 than our conscience needs to be captive to the word of God. We are having our consciences being attacked on so many different levels. Uh, if you look around our society, our civilization is in crisis. There are so many serious issues confronting us which require a bold biblical stand like what Martin Luther made. Marriage is under attack. I mean, the family, the basic building block of society is being undermined. Even the very differences between male and female are being challenged by transgender, gender fluidity, gender confusion movements. The COVID cult has been used as a smokescreen for advancing the communist agenda through lockdown lunacy and what some called economic suicide, but suicide suggests that it's voluntary. But the crippling and killing of so many businesses worldwide is more akin to economic murder, or mass murder actually, uh, than suicide. Now we're hearing from Canada that there's a church in Canada that's had to go underground because their pastor's uh, locked up and for the last month in, in a maximum security prison because he was continuing to have church services. And then they actually put a th three levels of fences around the church to prevent people from continuing together. And that church in, in Canada is now having to meet secretly, like an underground church like in North Korea or China or something. Uh, absolutely bizarre things are on the go right now. Marxist critical race theory has been used to confuse, divide, and conquer. Pornography and perversion is part of the 
corrupt and conquer strategy being persistently promoted by the usual suspects in Hollywood and propaganda, panic-mongering, fear-mongering, disinformation, deceit, revolutionary BLM rhetoric. All of these are examples of the threats that confront us. Our civilization is in crisis. And so we need now more than ever before for people like Martin Luther to stand up, to step out, to speak up, to fight the good fight of faith, to say what needs to be said, to do what needs to be done, to resist this globalist new world order attempt to bring about a one world government, a one world economic system, and a one world religious system or interfaith system. Because Christian civilization is being confronted right now by communist coercion. Civilization is really at the crossroads. So we think that this Reformation 500 Conscience Captures the Word of God conference that we've planned for this coming Saturday, the 17th of April, which will also be live streamed, is so timely because we are seeing civilization at a crossroads. The church is being challenged by communist coercion. Communities are being confronted with an aggressive agenda. We need to understand the times. We need to know what God's people should do. And before us, a clear choice is in crossroads. Are you going to choose fear or freedom? Panic or perception? Gender confusion or God's creation? Medical dictatorship or moral discernment? Disinformation and deception or facts and the truth? Truth does not fear investigation. Are we going to choose fear or faith? Disinformation or discernment? Curfews and compulsion or Christian liberal? Lockdowns or liberty? Mandatory vaccinations or informed consent? Communist coercion or Christian civilization? The choice is clear. It's revolution or reformation? Indoctrination or education? We are facing business bullies where they force you to wear masks and corporate communism, where you've got to get the vaccination or you can't continue to work here. This is salvation by vaccination that they're trying to push. It's many people in the last year, have, even from the church, have done more to communicate about COVID than they have about Christ. You've got people right now posting pictures of um, themselves with their sleeves rolled up getting the jab. You know, I've gotten my jab, I've shot in the arm. You know, when are you getting yours? You know, let's all be safe. And if they would put the same energy into promoting the gospel of Christ and communicating the truth instead of participating in this lie and this whole COVID cult, you've got so many people who are more concerned in the church of government regulations than gospel requirements. The Great Commission is still in force. Yet I know churches and missions that haven't done a single outreach in the last year. I know churches that are still in lockdown, either because of fear or cowardice. And why would we want our children to be educated by the enemies of our faith? It is absolutely outrageous. As the scripture says in Revelation 17, 14, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those who are with him are is called, chosen, and faithful. Now, the first time our Lord came to this earth, he came as a lamb. Behold the lamb of God, it takes away the sins of the world, said John the Baptist. But Jesus will come again. Next time he comes, he will not come as a lamb. He'll come as a lion, king of kings, lord of lords, judge, conqueror. And those who refuse to bow to the lamb of God today, those who refuse to surrender to Christ as savior today, will one day have to bow to him as judge, and as conqueror.
as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the scripture says in the Psalms, Psalm 119, indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. What we're seeing in the world right now is plainly an anti-Christian agenda, a new world order agenda, which is plainly anti-Christ. At its heart, you can see it's, it hates Christ. The blasphemy industry, the pornography industry, the attacks on our liberties, all of these come together. It's all part of a globalist agenda from the synagogue of Satan that are seeking to gut our faith of everything important. And the lockdown of today is the kind of thing that the Soviets tried to enforce, where the government decides who can work, where they can work, how they can work, when they can work, who can travel, show me your papers, and all of that. And this is what has been done now in the name of fighting a virus. You've seen the communist agenda, a Soviet agenda, government by committee, being with medical dictatorship, with the likes of the Fauci's of this world and so on, dictating how people behave and what they can do and who can work and who's essential and who isn't. This is the kind of thing that Martin Luther would have made a stand on. Because when you look at how he made a stand against indulgences and the issues of his day, and he made a stand on the word of God, we today need people who, like Martin Luther, will stand on the truth, will stand on the word of God, will stand against the authorities, and will do that which is right. We need to understand the threats and to counterattack the communist agenda. At its heart, this is a battle of authority. And so we need to make a clear, bold, and biblical stand on sola scriptura. There is no authority in the United Nations. Who's the United Nations? A bunch of gangsters with flags. Uh, scripture alone is our ultimate authority, not Fauci, not the Wuhan Health Organization. Our conscience is captive to the word of God. Here we stand. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we're facing a lot of threats today. There's a lot of confrontations. And we need to really be bold. We need to be brave. We need to uh, be uh, biblical. We need to have answers to the different challenges before us. And so uh, we are organizing this Conscience Captures the Word of God conference this coming weekend. We've got already 11 speakers internationally involved. Uh, we're going to be live streaming it. People can go onto the Reformation 500 Facebook page. And from 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, that's Cape Town or Johannesburg time, uh, we will be on uh, Saturday, the 17th of April, uh, dealing with this whole issue. And there'll be opportunities for people to send in questions and make statements. And out of this, we'll come out with a statement, which I believe will cover quite a lot of these issues, because we can't have the church silent and stagnant and paralyzed uh, for a year. In fact, to shut down a church for a week is unacceptable. But here there's a whole lot of allowed themselves to be paralyzed for the last year since the lockdowns were announced. And, and what an excessive overreaction. We need to be standing up for what is right. We need to be contending for the faith. So we are hoping that this weekend, um, I might say on Sunday, the 18th, we're actually going to do a Reformation 500 celebration service at 10 o'clock in the morning, and we'll live stream that too. And we'd encourage others to tune in or organize their own such in their areas. But it's so important. I can't think of a time when it's been more important to call people back to the Bible, back to the truth, back to our consciences being kept the word of God, calling people to stand up, to not be silent, to step out, to fight the good fight of faith, to speak up, not to be cowered into inactivity and silence and paralyzed by fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind and 
I do believe and hope that at this particular time, at this 500th anniversary, at this momentous historic milestone, that we will see some decisive action and standing up and confronting that which is wrong and calling people to that which is plainly true and right. And that includes in terms of vaccinations, it includes in terms of the lockdowns and all the other threats on life and liberty and on our faith and on our freedoms. So back to you, Andrew. I hope and pray our listeners will join in in marking this milestone, calling others to it as well, and receiving new encouragement and strength and power to be able to stand up and resist the tyrants of today, just as Martin Luther resisted the tyrants of his day. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And um, now the service that that you're going to do um, this Sunday, April the 18th, it's at 10 a.m. South Africa time. Now that's 9 a.m. UK. That's correct, isn't it, Peter? Yes. So That's right. We're just one hour ahead. Yeah, but what you'll need to do, folks, is um, obviously we've got people listening all around the world. Now, I use a um, thing called timeanddate.com forward forward slash world clock forward slash meeting. So that's timeanddate.com forward slash world clock forward slash meeting. And it's very easy to use. You put your date in at the top and then you pick your location one. So I would put Cape Town, because that is in the drop-down list. And then location two, you put in wherever you are, okay? Uh, And then you just uh, click the thing at the uh, show timetable, and it will show you what the time is where you are when it's going to be 10 a.m. on Sunday, April the 18th. So you'll be able to uh, tune in live, as it were. Now, Peter, the website, is it frontlinefellowship.org.za? Yes, so frontlinemissionsa.org is our main website. If one goes onto that, there will be an event page where, where, where you see events. You'll see immediately uh, towards the bottom, there's the link to the Reformation 500 Conscience Cap the Word of God uh, conference on the 17th of April. And there'll be links there that takes you to the page on, on the events page. And that will have links to both the program, the speakers, and, and so on. Uh, and uh, also, of course, there'll be the links for the live stream. Now, the live stream is going to be carried on the Reformation Farm and Facebook page, but of course, the links are coming from our FrontlineMissionSA.org website. Um, events, you get to that page, and that'll link you straight into what's on the go. And uh, uh, one just needs to uh, click, click on it on the actual Saturday, um, uh, this coming Saturday, the 17th. And it'll it'll have the links right there. Excellent. Now, um, so folks, uh, I misspoke. It is frontline missions, frontline mission sa.org. That's frontline mission sa.org. And of course, there'll be a link to, to that. That's the top link for Peter's uh, website in the post for this show. So make sure that you get that. And straight away, you can see um, on the right-hand side, there's the Facebook button if you want to watch it on Facebook. But uh, as uh, Peter said, then there'll be more links up on Saturday. So um, please check this out. It's a historic event. Uh, as Peter said, there's very rarely uh, an opportunity to celebrate the 500 
500th anniversary of anything, let alone anything this important. So please uh, check that out. Check this out this Sunday. Now, you'll notice, those of you who have gone to my website to download this show, that there's an absolutely striking image for this show, which is a statue of Martin Luther that Peter uh, supplied to me for the show. Uh, what can you tell us about this statue, Peter? Well, it's it's actually the... Uh monument specifically to the stand Martin Luther made on the 18th of April, 1521. Uh, as you can see him standing there boldly with his hand on top of a, a Bible. And uh, yet it's not the statue in Worms. The statue in Worms l- looks similar, but this location uh, is in fact in Dresden and in front of the Frauenkirchen or the, uh, the woman's church. And so uh, this whole church, which by the way, is over a thousand years old. Um, even though when you look at the Baroque architecture, you might be uh, uh, tempted to think it's it's not as old a church, but the church goes back over a thousand years, although it's a massive renovations during the Baroque era. But on the 14th of February, 1945, uh, this whole church was destroyed, burned, left in, in ruins, and the monument of Martin Luther was blown off its uh, basin and the uh, the plinth was was destroyed. Uh, they rebuilt the church afterwards. And in fact, if you look at this picture carefully, you will notice there's a whole lot of black bricks or very dark bricks. Or in fact, if you look at them carefully, they're actually uh, quite burned. Those are the bricks that were used that had been part of the uh, ruins. So about 45% of the reconstructed Flauenkirche composed historical stone material which are part of the ruins. And for example, there's over 8,425 old ashlars that were integrated uh, during the reconstruction of Frauerkirche. And so there's there's thousands, even in just the facade of the uh, church, there are over 7,000 old stones, which were uh, so burned in a firestorm uh, that you can see they're still blackened to this day. So in rebuilding the church, just to remind them of how this church is a monument to what Jesus said, that I am building my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this this church and monument literally went through hell uh, in the the thousand bomber raids, which came first at 10 o'clock and then after midnight, the second wave, and then in the morning, the US Air Force. So there were three waves of thousand bomber raids that hit the town one after the other. And the whole of the inner city was was in a firestorm inferno. Uh, Maybe some have seen the Dresden film uh, the German film made on, on Dresden, which which dramatizes and depicts that. Although it, it stops with the British bombing, it doesn't show the US Air Force bombing in the morning uh, when people were still trying to uh, pick up and help the survivors. Uh, so uh, it, it, it doesn't even show you the whole of the destruction that was done. But this, I think, is such a picture of what we're talking about when we're dealing with Reformation. Because here you can see so much of Christian civilization has been damaged, but needs to be rebuilt. And, and the ideas, the faith, the families, uh, the foundations of our societies need to be rebuilt. But just as they rebuilt Dresden, and just as they rebuilt and reconstructed the monument to Martin Luther stand in front of this Frauenkirchen in Dresden, so we need to rebuild our lives and our faith and our churches and communities and civilization uh, around these rock-solid principles. And I think we are inspired by the words of our Lord Jesus that 
He said, I am building my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's certainly our prayer at this time. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And I think it's obviously no coincidence that they chose Dresden when we see what a historical uh, Christian site it was. And on that note as well, um, very encouraging words from Peter uh, there because it does look sometimes like all is lost when we see the um, liberalism and the political correctness and the sexual immorality that we're having to endure and if we speak out in many countries we can be prosecuted for speaking out on behalf of Christianity but if you cast your mind back to Weimar Germany that was you know less than a hundred years ago and they had all this stuff going through there then, and they were able to overcome it then. So I urge people to uh, continue in prayer and continue in the faith. Uh, this sort of lifestyle that we Christians do not appreciate has been overthrown before, and it can be overthrown again. What are your thoughts on that, Peter? That is so true. And, you know, when you look at Martin Luther in particular, you realize he's something like an Elijah. When, when Israel was an apostasy, uh, and uh, Elijah confronted the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And in many ways, uh, Martin Luther's actions at Brooms five years ago is like that of another Elijah, confronting the false prophets. And uh, it was a defining moment when Elijah came before the people and his conviction and courage confronted corruption and cowardice. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. And so in 1 Kings 18, we read about this incredible climactic confrontation between the 450 false prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah, and one true prophet, Elijah, against 850 false prophets. And there they both built their altars and they prayed to their God. And the one answered with fire was recognized as the one true God. And so uh, just as Elijah made his stand, and uh, just as you can see John the Baptist was able to make a stand and be bold. And uh, uh, Wycliffe, as the professor of Oxford University, the Morning Star of the Reformation, or Savonarola in, uh, in uh, Florence, and Professor Jan Hus at the Council of Constance, uh, so Martin Luther made his stand. And it's like David versus Goliath. And uh, as David went into the valley of the shadow of death to confront this giant Goliath, he said, you come to me with your sword, with your spear and with your javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, whom you have defied. And so we should be inspired by the courageous reformers in the past who've challenged evil and lies and deception and tyranny before. And so we today need to be, we need people like Nathan the prophet, who's got the courage to confront the king saying, you're the man, or John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland who the wicked Mary, Queen of Scots, could in trembling and in tears declare, I'm more afraid of the prayers of John Knox than of an army of 10,000. And so you can imagine John Knox wasn't praying some wimpy little weedy prayer of Jabez uh, type of thing. He was praying the Psalms. He was praying for justice. He was praying against evil. And I think of Daniel. Uh, Daniel, who could courageously stand firm under three pagan kings and could say to the uh, king at the Babylonian banquet at Belshazzar, you are weighed in the balances and you found wanting. Many, many tackle parson weighed in the balances, found wanting. And uh, he was commanded, you're only allowed to pray to the king. And Daniel continued to pray to the Lord, and he was thrown to the lion's den. But God was with him in the lion's den. And so I think we find ourselves in these sort of situations, somewhat in the lion's den, 
we could be deplatformed, unpersoned, vaporized, disappear down the memory hole <laughs> because of thought crimes and the thought police after us. And so it's all very uh, intimidating and terrifying, which is, is meant to be. Uh, but we aren't just those who are reading George Orwell's very prophetic warning in 1984. If we're reading the Bible and if we're praying to the God of the universe, then we have a source of power and a source of courage and backbone that can give us not any doctrinal backbones of steel that will not bow or bend or burn before the enemy, uh, but uh, we can be those kinds of, of people who can have the, the courage not only uh, the uh, the doctrinal backbone of steel to stand, uh, but also the heart of flame uh, for the truth of God. Uh, my heart, uh, promptly and sincerely, in the service of my God, is the, is the uh, motto of John Calvin. So I think what we need today, we need um, uh, people with the courage of Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli, of John the Baptist. We, we need that kind of steadfastness. Uh, and courage today. And you can't get it on your own. We need to receive this from studying the truth of God's word, which has made some of the most courageous people and some of the most powerful reformers in history. And we need to humbly seek the power and grace and the Holy Spirit of God, because let's face it, what we're involved in is spiritual evil. This isn't just evil in the world. This is something that's actually got a demonic, um, hellish, foundation, you can really see that underlying the synagogue of Satan that hates God, that delights in blasphemy, that attacks every Christian institution, including the family and marriage itself, uh, behind them is such a, a demonic hatred that often defies imagination. And as Jesus said, if they hate you, remember they hated me first. And uh, servant's not above his master. And we should be encouraged. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good chair for I've overcome the world. And so uh, for those who are trying to resist the new world order in their own strength, I would encourage him, don't be put off by the fact that there's many Christian cowards and traitors. I mean, even Jesus said as Judas, uh, there are the backstabbers and the false prophets out there, but there are the real true followers of God. Uh, and you can see them through the ages. And uh, Martin Luther's is one obvious great example. And they, he should inspire us that uh, we should not try and do this in our own strength. We we need to recognize that we're part of a great church militant on earth, which can be inspired by the great church triumphants in heaven, the saints of old, the examples, this great cloud of witnesses around us. And that uh, when we're afraid and when we are uh, tempted to compromise and uh, go along with the, with the flow and with the world, well, even a dead fish can float downstream. We need to go upstream. We need to go against the flow. And uh, as for that, it is very encouraging when we realize that we're part of a true church worldwide and throughout history, and that we can have the power of God in the scriptures and the power of God's Holy Spirit in strengthening us to stand and to be bold and to be brave in the day of crisis. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And that is so important, folks. That's why we talk about the power of prayer on this show, because I think that uh, what we've seen with elections of people like Trump or Brexit in the UK has shown that there's no political solution to our problems. People have tried that. They elect what they um, are 
uh, they're given opportunities, they're given choices of people to elect, and when they elect the people, they find out they're not going to do what they promised that they were going to do, and it's not going to work out the way that they were promised it would work out. So the political system doesn't work as far as I'm concerned, and so I'm turning to faith and turning to Jesus Christ and to God to guide us through these perilous times. And as I said, it has happened before. We have overcome before, and we should overcome again and have the faith. So, Peter, before we go, can you please let the audience know uh, the best way that they can contact you and your website, etc., for this very important um, broadcast on Sunday? Yes, thank you. So my email is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, as the Americans would say. And uh, our website is frontlinemissionsa.org, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. And you will see that the event page will take you to uh, the uh, Reformation event, uh, which is hosted on the reformationsa.org website. And uh, the Facebook page where all of this will be uh, live streamed is the Reformation 500 Facebook page. So Reformation 500 Facebook page, you'll see the Martin Luther uh, face as the uh, identifying uh, symbol, the logo for that page. And on it, you'll see the banners of the event because that's the most important event right now. This is a once in a half a millennium opportunity uh, to uh, call people to what really counts. And I think this... This stand of Martin Luther's is a great encouragement for people who stand for truth and faith and freedom. And it's got to be a great aggravation and irritation and frustration to the people who love the New World Order and who hate liberty and who hate God. And uh, so let's encourage God's people and let's remind uh, the wicked who are fighting against God that they will lose. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter, and I hope you have a wonderful event. Fantastic presentation for such a momentous occasion today. Folks, you have been listening to the real story of Martin Luther's courageous stand 500 years ago. I want to thank all of you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. Until then, folks, bye for now.